0: Hello, hello, my Web3 friends, and welcome to another episode of Behind the PFP, a podcast dedicated to exploring the vibrant personalities and captivating stories of Web3. My goal, as always, is to be the conduit for sharing the knowledge provided by our wonderful guests. Today, we explore the life of Microglia, not the cells, but we do like to call him Micro. He's a fellow OB and a very dear friend of mine. Micro is a second year student at Stanford studying neuroscience. He's worked at 20 ish NFT projects and has a vast experience in consulting in web three. In this episode, trust me when I say that you might want to pull out a notebook because the amount of knowledge he provides in this episode is mind boggling. So without further ado, let's jump right into it.
1: From traveling to China yep. and back now, but adjusting to jet lag pretty well, I think.
0: Yeah, you've, you've managed to find a way to even beat jet lag. Like, I didn't know your <laughs> intelligence went that far. <laughs> and uh, you know what? Why, why were you in China? Michael, why were you in China?
1: Yeah, so I was in China because backstory, I, I was already married, had a city hall uh, wedding in San Francisco a couple years ago, but never had a chance to have an actual ceremony. And so, you know, my, my wife, she is from Hangzhou in China. And so we ended up going back to China for an actual full wedding ceremony with her parents. And my parents also flew in from the States. So that's why I was back there.
0: Okay, first of all, I had no idea that you were already previously married at a hall. In <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fran. I had no idea. So well, what kind of led to that, having that? happened first before doing a a wedding in China. It was just feeling like the time was right. Mm, I see.
1: You know, in terms of getting married, and just because we felt like uh, it was time to legally be married doesn't mean that we were ready for a full ceremony for financial and logistical reasons. And so that's the main reason why those two events were separated.
0: No, that makes sense. You know what when you know, you know. And it's 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 pretty yeah. true. So I've, I've met you and your wife in, in New York. That was a great time. And you guys are adorable and very smart people. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we... I wouldn't say so. I think we just like to suffer. I you like, That's <laughs> how I generally describe it. Honestly, yeah. anyone who decides to do schooling for a very long time and on, on, on topics and subjects that are very hard, in my opinion and from what I've seen, I have nothing but respect because it takes a lot of dedication and a lot of hard work and long nights going through that schooling. At least I imagine. I've never been to Stanford, so I don't know. (laughs) I was just going to say that it's usually how I describe what
1: we do. The fact that we're both completing our PhDs, it's pretty masochistic. It to, to have both people in the relationship doing at the same time is another level of a deliberate pain.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what challenges does that present? Because I imagine you guys are hard at work, like, constantly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's not just PhD, right? Like, I make fun of that, but it's a lot of different professions where it's long hours. And if both parties are, you know, have long hours, you might lose a lot of time that you might otherwise spend together. You might lose time where you can balance and compensate for each other's schedules. For example, if you have pets or, or kids, it becomes extra challenging, right? So people doing like a couple where both people are doing
0: PhDs, it's it's pretty hard to have kids, for example. Right. Have you seen any example of of someone being able to do that before? Oh, 100%. But it's just really, really rough. <laughs> yeah. Dude, <laughs> dude I, I have kids and I can totally yeah. relate and understand because kids take up a lot of time and you need to put a lot of time in to, to nurture their growth, right? So uh, mm-hmm. I, I can definitely imagine that. And you know what? A little backstory for those who don't know who you are. You are in Stanford right now studying neuroscience. So kind of want to look a little bit further into that in your journey of becoming a neuroscience. Can you kind of share your background in deciding why you wanted to pursue neuroscience? I would say it's two parts. And I can start with
1: the very beginning, as I do. So I was originally born in Taiwan. And I moved to the States when I was four and grew up in California. When I was six and a half, my younger brother was born. And he was born with a spectrum of medical conditions from Tourette's to ADHD to OCD, to even hallucination at some parts of his childhood. Oh, wow. And so there was a lot of hardship, just In that situation. But in the context of choosing to study neuroscience, he was definitely uh, a major factor because I wanted to better understand what was going on with him. And, you know, especially at at that kind of age, you know, when I was six, I've written about this as well. There was almost some level of resentment that stems from not being able to understand Mm. what's happening to him and certain actions he takes, right? So... For Tourette's, for example, you'll have tics and he'll say things or do things out of impulse that he can't control. Yeah. And so later in life, you know, after graduating high school, going to college and choosing what I want to study, neuroscience, understanding the brain became something that was naturally attractive to me. And so that that's one big part, right? I think the second big part was Luck and chance. Mm. The first research experience I ever had was in a neuro-oncology lab where I was studying diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma or type of pediatric brain cancer that is lethal. And in that moment at the intersection of neuroscience and cancer biology, I just fell in love with the brain and the study of it in that even now I feel the brain is at the center of everything. It's something I like to explain when I share what I do with people is, you know, reminding people that everything we sense, everything we process, and everything we do all comes back to the brain or the central nervous system. Yeah. Without it, you can't live life, right? And there's a very cool example, which is vision, right? When we look at things, when we look at the same things, A lot of times we see them differently, right? I'm not talking about situations necessarily, but like physical objects even. If we look at the same thing, we might see things somewhat differently. We might see it from a different perspective. And that's an example of how our unique brain and internal algorithm processes sensory information, right? Because what you see right now when we're looking at each other, for example, is just
0: light, right? right? Exactly.
1: It's not me. It's not an image. It's light, coming into your eyes. And that's being processed over multiple layers to generate what your brain thinks I look like or what your brain thinks the world looks like. And there's this idea of a, a recurrent model of the world where whatever you see, whatever you think the world looks like, you're going to make decisions based on that, right? right. If you think something looks yummy, you're going to make a decision to to eat it. Yeah. But maybe I see see it differently. I don't think it looks at me, so I won't eat it. Right. And and so when you choose to eat that, you need to use your brain to make an action, which then changes the world state, right? It changes the actual world. And now your perceived world also changes. And this recurrent cycle is something that has become very interesting for neuroscientists over especially over the past decade. Recurrent cycle. And so okay. And so that's just one example and tangent of the curiosity side uh, of neuroscience that drove me to this field.
0: I see. And would you say that so far in your studies, would you say that you've come closer to understanding the brain and your original reason as to why you came into neuroscience? Do you feel like you've come closer to understanding your brother a little bit more? I think
1: the short and simple answer to both questions is yes. Mm -hmm. But I think the brain is just so... Complex. It's just such a black box that we're definitely nowhere close to understanding what it does. And so the sort of long-term answer, if you can frame it that way is no. Mm-hmm. In terms of my brother, I, I wouldn't even say that I specifically understand him better. It's probably more that I'm in a field that's starting to understand people like him oh, Okay, And so I'll, I'll, I'll slowly uh, grasp that. So, so my direct research doesn't necessarily tie into things like Tourette's ADHD or OCD.
0: What, what studies are you currently interested in or focusing on in your labs right now?
1: Uh, I am currently studying... Glial cells.
0: So, most people are familiar with neurons, which is
1: why the field is or was called neuroscience because those are the, for a long time, the primary cells that were studied. They're the cells that fire electrical signals in a brain that help it operate. But glial cells, which are the non neuronal cells in the brain, actually make up half of the brain and they just weren't really studied. And and glia stands for or, or means glue because the original meaning was derived from this perspective that they were simply there to keep everything together. Like, since then, especially over the past few decades, uh, and by a very prominent neuroscientist who unfortunately passed away recently, Mm -hmm. Ben Beres helped revolutionize this perspective that this other half of this brain, of your brain, is also very important, right? Which seems quite obvious in retrospect. But it's hard to push back against... Tradition, right? When people have been studying neurons for decades and decades, they'll take some pushback even if the direction seems quite obvious. Right. They're
0: protecting what they've put out there,
1: right? Yeah. Well, not necessarily protecting, but just there's a sort of camp or loyalty to studying this one cell type or, or family of cells. And this previous idea that glia don't really do much had to be slowly dissected and pulled apart for people to fully understand its significance. And I saw you smile a little when I, when I brought up glia, which, which for obvious reasons, yes. this is where my name comes from or my pseudonym in the space, which is microglia. And it is one of the glial subtypes that is the resident immune cell of the brain. And so it performs a number of functions, including clearing out debris in your brain. So when there's dead cells or dead cell compartments, for example, it will gobble it up and get rid of it for you. And it's now being studied in complex diseases like Alzheimer's, for example. Um, But something else that has always fascinated me about microglia is that, especially during development, as the brain is developing at it. When you are growing up, uh, it participates in a very important function called synaptic pruning. Synapses are the connections between your neurons, and so if you sever them, it's like severing the connection in a wire or a wired system, right? And so what microglia do is they are tiled throughout your brain, and as you're growing up, your adolescent brain actually forms too many synapses. It forms an excess of connections and as you grow up as you're learning as you're experiencing the world you start to have a lot of refinement of those circuits so your brain starts to show not show but you start to see which connections are quote unquote more important right so for example a connection that is more active uh, might be more important whereas a connection that isn't used as much might not be and microglia play a role in pruning or sculpting that away so it'll take away a lot of those connections that it deems not as useful and in essence in, in a literal sense sculpts who you become when you grow so up. so do
0: do emotions and situations as you grow up change that is there like a specific like situation or feeling like love is like love stronger than bad memories
1: i don't really know from personal knowledge or experience. And I don't know if it's possible to quantify them in the way you're asking. Yeah, Do they play a role in sculpting your neural circuits growing up? Absolutely. So something that I I ended up looking into and writing grants about is social isolation, actually. Oh, okay. And so it's actually a very simple concept. It is how does being alone affect how your brain is wired growing up, right? And so... Social isolation in mice, anyway, as an animal model, is actually also a model of a number of psychiatric disorders, such as ADHD, OCD, Tourette's, a lot of what my brother has. And the idea is if you socially isolate these mice, studies have shown that you have an aberrant number of synapses. There's There are issues with the sculpting. Of synapses in adolescence, and only when you socially isolate the animal during adolescence. So after a certain critical period, after it matures past a certain point, isolating them doesn't have the same effect, right? And I won't get into all the details. It's going to be really boring, but <laughs> I don't find it boring. But but yes, yes, keep going, please. The big the big picture I was trying to get at is in terms of broader impact. What Social I- isolation might be doing to a lot of kids during the pandemic because it's pretty uh, unprecedented. Yes. But depriving them of social interactions is a loss of neuronal activity uh, at those critical ages. And we don't fully understand uh, what that might be doing to a developing kid.
0: Mm, interesting. And you wrote. You wrote a paper on that. No,
1: I I wrote a grand oh, proposal. Grant
0: proposal. So I
1: see. Pretty much, scientists begging for <laughs> money.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, we we need money <laughs> to do things, which is just yeah. how the world works. Which actually can kind of bring us, you know, to something that I, I I also want to talk about is I always find it fascinating learning about your 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 goals and your philosophy in life. And so I kind of want to dive into that. I, I want to know your top-down view on your own life and what you plan to achieve. Absolutely. So I think you already- I do, <laughs> I do. I gotta I gotta pretend I don't know. Yeah,
1: you already kind of started that for me. So how I am currently living life and operating is through a top-down philosophy. And I think- it embodies very well how i think and and how i feel where i in in any situation i like to have a top-down bird's-eye view of the space Mm. right it could be it could be in 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 gaming right like in in league of legends for example it could be in uh, sports right it could be in a number of situations but I'm a very visual learner and I like to have that layered perspective where I see everything and I'm able to piece stuff together in a way that makes sense to me visually. And so in terms of my top-down philosophy, it starts with, at the very top, my life goal or life goals. And currently, I'm keeping it pretty ambiguous or vague. And it's something that I think most people can relate to. My general goal is that in 10 years, 20 years, in this decades-long time horizon, I want to be able to do whatever I want to do. What I mean by that is I am currently a neuroscience student, a neuroscientist, and maybe I keep doing that for X amount of time, but maybe I wake up when I'm 40 or 50 and decide, you know what, I want to be an artist. Mm -hmm. And obviously, with any passion, I would work hard at it, But I don't want to start from the bottom. I want to have immediate access to all the best resources, which means all the top galleries, all the top teachers, and everything that will absolutely accelerate getting to where I want to be in that moment. And so in terms of starting with that top-down view, the next question is, so how do I do that? How do I end up being able to do whatever I want to do 10 years and for me that comes down to another principle which is i think human relationships allow you to truly do what you want to do at any uh, given point in time in your life right there are just too many things that money can't buy and it truly is people that give you the options to do things in life and so in order to get those relationships i need I need to first have a strategy of building relationships and second, have a focus as to what types of relationships I want to build. If I spent all my time building relationships with every single person I meet, you know, no matter how amazing they are, I won't ever get anywhere, right? It's true. Oh, I'll know a chef and a musician, et cetera, et cetera. But none of that really builds towards a specific door being opened when I need it to be opened. So for me, I define it, I define my, um, what I call human capital accumulation in three focus areas. The first is STEM, uh, which is closest to what I do. And the next, as a close tangent, is business. And the third, drawing from the example I just gave, is an offshoot that is art. And I don't really have a definite reason or well-defined reason for why art, but In retrospect, it might be related to a life I want to live. For example, being able to collect art. I think there's a certain level of wealth, certain level of quality of life that you need to attain to comfortably collect and appreciate art at the highest level. So that, I think, is the psychology behind how I decide on that third area. And so if we keep moving further down, right, we get to what I call the Web 2, Web 3 parallel track, or positive feedback loop. And it gets the, this question I get asked a lot, which is I'm, I'm currently a neuroscientist or a neuroscience student, but I also do a lot of Web3 work, probably too much <laughs> right, alongside my PhD. Yes, I can attest to that. People often ask me two questions, right? They ask me, what does neuroscience have to do with Web3? And then they ask me, why do I do both, right? If I'm good at one or the other or both, why not just choose one and really commit to it? And my answer usually starts with uh, a very simple statement, which is neuroscience is what I study, not what I do. Mm. And I think this is an issue in academics, actually, where if I'm studying cancer biology, for example, I might be prone to thinking that I need to do this for the rest of my life. If I spend five years studying a certain type of cancer in my Ph.D., then I should keep doing that, right? I should work at a company that does that. I should start a lab that studies that because that's my expertise. I, I've built this depth, right? And, and that's yeah. that's not irrational. That, that's a very fair take. My, my issue with that is it doesn't have to be the only option. So the way I view PhD is that it is a very intensive training environment and training experience that allows you and helps you become the best problem solver in the world. Because if I help break down what PhD students or scientists as a whole are doing, uh, we start with rapidly digesting new and complex information through publications and papers. We start researching and understanding what everybody else in the world is doing in a certain space, right? And guess what else is a space that's very new? Web three, three, yeah. right? It's true. And so we learn how to digest information very quickly. We learn how to identify knowledge gaps and opportunities in this space that we then design experiments for, that we learn from, and eventually publish in a cohesive and comprehensive publication that's peer reviewed by other people in the field that we learned a lot from, right? And so through this process, we are becoming exceptional problem solvers. And it is these, this process that we do every day not neuroscience, not cancer biology. That's what we study. That's just the environment, the context. Yes. Right? And so for me at the end of my PhD, what can I do? Anything I want. I told this to my cohort as well. You know, you can do whatever you want because if you do PhD right, you can excel at literally anything you want uh, after you graduate. Because what space or industry doesn't have problems? Exactly. Right? Or or knowledge. You can put me in the kitchen. I don't really cook. Well, I can learn, right? That's what we do. We excel at learning. And so to get back to the positive feedback loop of this top-down philosophy of my life, I see two primary resources in these two spaces. In Web2, I think there's a dominant resource, not mutually exclusive, but just a dominant resource that is technical skills and credibility. Mm -hmm. So it could be college degrees. It could be reference letters. It could be just vouching, companies. right? But it's it adds a lot of weight to what you're doing or where you want to go. And the technical skills you learn h- allow you to execute much better. In Web3, for me, the dominant resource is human capital. Again, you can build this in Web2, but in Web3, because of the nature of NFTs as an asset class and the way that we've interacted with it to date, there is an opportunity to build a lot closer relationships a lot faster. Mm-hmm. And the types of people in the space have elevated the quality of people you get to meet on a day-to-day basis. One day, you could be next to a high schooler. The next day, you might be sitting next to an executive
0: of a company you would like to join in Web2. That is the power of Web3. That is, that is correct, yeah. And you know what? I, as you were kind of going through that explanation, it kind of made me realize that the Web3 space is a lot like science right now. Because there's a lot of experimenting in this space that's happening and a lot of it fails and then we have to learn from it and then continue to develop on top of that. So the space can give you a lot of flexibility in trying new things and having access to greater minds in a, in a faster and more accessible way. I truly admire your top-down view and philosophy, and you know that. I, I think having that allows you to achieve your goals as it allows you to be more disciplined and gives you more conviction in the decisions that you make along the way. And you know, by using your skill of problem-solving and bringing it into a space like Web3, what better place to do it than uh, a brand new space where you get to meet almost literally anyone you can imagine? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly
1: the point I was getting to. And, you know, I I can give a quick example of how this might look, right? We're not at this bottom layer of this positive feedback loop. This is how I operate on a day-to-day basis. Start in Web2, Right. I was a neuroscientist coming into the space a year and a half ago, and I'm applying for mod positions. Right. I'm trying to enter the Web3 space and get experience here. Well, I'm applying as a neuroscientist. I'm leveraging my Web2 dominant resource, which is technical skills and credibility. And I'm competing against, you know, possibly high school students, college students who simply might not have enough or as much work experience or professional experience. Which doesn't mean they have any less potential or any less capability, but it just means at a surface level, I just have an easier time getting positions because I'm not asking for a higher pay. I'm just going for the same position with a few years more experience in the professional setting. And so now I've gotten into these teams and I'm building this network, right? I'm already accumulating human
0: capital thanks to leveraging my I have two technical skills. And for for these teams, when they see that come across their desk, right, when you're in a space where you need to build quite quickly, I mean, it would be a no-brainer to me to be able to use someone with the technical ability that you have versus, you know, a high schooler. Uh, I I would think so as
1: well, hopefully. And especially, you know, it's not like I was applying for leadership positions, Right. Right. I was applying to be a Discord moderator. You
0: started right from the bottom. Right. It's, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I thought that was super important for me. It's one of the hardest jobs. It's super underappreciated. And a lot of my perspectives, a lot of the value I add to teams I consult for, advise for, comes from that bottom-up experience where I have a full scope of hands-on experience as to how you build a project and team in the space. I think it's one thing to speak from learnings and, and readings, right? It's another to speak from hands on, you know, in the trenches experience. And so after I got this mod position in these teams, I start trying to move my way up to bigger projects, to better teams. And it's something we talked about before, which is sort of like scaling this 3D space that is Web3, right? Yes. And the higher you go in this space, the better the teams, right? The, the higher quality of the people and the, the faster your network grows. And so, you know, as you're scaling this human capital mountain range, this forest, you might decide if you have focus areas, for example, like STEM, that you know there's a STEM executive or biotech executive, and he is uh, in charge of hiring uh, your position in Web2 that you've been aiming for. And knowing him might allow you to skip a few steps in that process that might have taken you extra years in Web 2. So you get to this certain height in Web 3 of human capital accumulation. You take that back into Web 2 and you accelerate your growth in Web 2, right? Let's say it gets you into from a scientist position to a director position. Then what do you do next? You take that director position of credibility in Web 2 resource, bring it back to Web 3. Go to Teams again at a higher level. I want to work for you. I'm a director of biotech, right? Yeah. Different weight, different significance, and now you accelerate
0: your growth in Web three, and you rinse and repeat. And this, folks, is the positive feedback loop. <laughs> I love it. I love that look on what what you can do in the space, and it's open to to anyone here, right? That's that's the power of it. Yep. It's not just you. It's literally open to anyone. And you can meet many people here. So if if you're listening, get up, talk to talk to more people and and make those connections. (laughs) You know what? Since we're on this track, actually, you know, before we continue, because there's a lot more to come when it comes to focusing on your Web3 journey. Let's play Bean Blitz. I wish I had like a soundboard. right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so do you know what Bean Blitz is? I I don't, but I can guess. Okay, well, Bean Blitz is a lightning round question trivia where we get to just (laughs) blast through some questions. They they are basically either or questions. And this one is sponsored by NFA. So (laughs) I got to give a shout out to... Fantastic. (laughs) I got to give a shout out to Swan, Omi, Fargo, Shin, Alex. These were all questions that we all kind of came up with. And I hope you're ready for it. <laughs> I am not,
1: definitely not. Those other people asking. Questions.
0: Okay, so let's start with an easy one: blue bottle or Phil's coffee? <laughs> blue bottle. Okay, good no question. <laughs> Never hear from Fargo again, or he roasts you for one hour straight every day forever. Definitely, roast me.
1: I mean, it keeps me humble. I, mean, <laughs> I tell him this all the time. I'm pretty sure that he does that anyway,
0: <laughs> like constantly. It
1: doesn't matter what my response is. He's gonna roast yeah. me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> if If I were
0: to give you one, which would you choose? A one wheel or a luxury vehicle? Oh, don't do that to me. Who <laughs> wrote this question?
1: <laughs> oh man. Okay.
0: A luxury vehicle. Oh, I, I took way longer oh, to answer that God. than I should. That hurt your soul. <laughs> Look, I've seen, I've seen your Gamassi <laughs> photos. All right, and there's always a goddamn <laughs> yeah. one wheel in there. Would it's, it's a subject of the yeah, thing. exactly. Would you rather be a crypto influencer or be a social media influencer? <laughs> Can I choose neither? Damn, <laughs> um, yeah, a social media okay. influencer probably make a
1: lot That's more money very true. than CT.
0: I started to think about that question. I'm like, oh, this is kind of a no-brainer. No one wants to be a crypto influencer. (laughs) Lose every connection you've made or receive $10 million, but you have to live in isolation for three years. Wait, lose every connection I made? Or or receive $10 million, but you have to live in isolation for three years. It's such a targeted question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we know. I would take the
1: 10 million dollars <laughs> and live nicely. All right. See ya,
0: Michael. See ya. We'll, we'll send the 10 million, <laughs> but you, you, you got to live away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do, you still, do you still play chess and TFT simultaneously?
1: Oh my gosh, no. There was a time <laughs> when I did that. And by the way, I'm not good at chess. I just enjoy yeah. it. But there was a time, I think it was like late last year when I, I was just super hyperactive and I would be on Discord, you know, looking at stuff, doing research. But then I have TFT on my phone, but on then your also phone. chess on my, on, my, on my laptop because I, I, would, I would make a move and maybe I'd wait and then I'd do stuff on TFT. Anyway, I don't do that. Anymore.
0: Okay. <laughs> a little crazy, but I like it. I like that style. Why are you fascinated? This is the last one. Why are you fascinated with the K-pop group XG? So much so that you want to invest in them.
1: (laughs) I feel like this is going to be a very controversial response just because people care a lot about their K-pop group. That's true. So to preface, um, I'm not like a huge uh, K-pop fan in general. Like, I enjoy K-pop. I like the music, but um, not a huge fan. I've never been to a concert, for example. For me, I saw... Uh, xg come out recently especially with with the rap cypher video where they showcase four of the rappers in their group yeah everyone should take a look but i I saw them execute and it made me very excited because i mean one face value they just killed it they rap better than most if not all rappers i've listened to in my life they're super super young super young talent but their age brings me to another point, which is I feel like the K-pop industry thrives on sexualizing the idols, yeah. right? And I, I don't need to speak too much on that, but I feel that's how the industry has been built. So no responsibility I'm putting on the the idols or, or the, the K-pop groups themselves. Because that's the nature of the industry, in my opinion, it becomes problematic and a bit conflicting when you put really young girls into these groups and then having them do dances and sing, right? And put different types of attire and dress on them, right? For XG, it was super refreshing because they weren't doing any sort of over-sexualized sort of portrayals. They were coming out super hard in a very cool, empowered, and dominant way. And so I really, really love that. It makes it so I can watch them and be excited for them without feeling uncomfortable. And there's been a lot of reaction videos from the U.S., from the rapping community, from rappers and and vocalists commenting and just being absolutely blown away by the performance. And I think it's the first time that we're making a new dent into the Western market. And so there's a few different facets that made me really excited. And then the last piece is I was looking for places to invest sort of tax-free growth fiat. And so one that I've talked about is Baron Partners or PPTRX, which is an ETF that gives you access to space. Yeah. Yeah. But the other I found out is K-pop ETF, which is an ETF that was formed like around six months ago, I which think. is
0: still wild. And you? so
1: decided to look into those two for my, my boomer <laughs> plays and. Not financial, not financial advice, advice
0: 100 not advice, not yes. that is the end of bean blitz but i cannot wait to snippet your explanation of xg because like holy shit <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly though when people actually search it up and listen to it it'll actually blow you away uh there you have it uh we are going to be sponsored now by xg's label blue bottle so oh. it's coming it's coming. I can feel it. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah, that's Bean Blitz, man. Thank you for answering all those questions. Those were brought to you by NFA. Got a- hey, shout out to the NFA crew. Shout out to NFA. Love you guys. Okay. <laughs> all right. Back to the regular scheduled program. So, this isn't widely advertised, but you've worked with Azuki, hey, Art Gobbler's pre launch, and you've also been continuing to work with KPR, the bakery. And you have this deliberate way of working and moving in this space, as you have described. So can you give us a a service level look at what you did with these projects? And and also, what did it look like as you went up on this mountain? Yeah, so I think my very long
1: ramble about my top-down philosophy provides a lot of important context. Absolutely. And so with that philosophy in mind, when I went through my journey, you know, the TLDRs, I started work, working on some small projects, mm-hmm. right? I, I learned a lot at that level, and I immersed myself in the space, learned about community, interacted with a lot of people one-on-one. And then I, I started moving into what I might call medium-sized or medium-tier projects. These are projects that might not be super hyped, but the team is more competent, has more resources, and starts to help you build your network in the space. And from there, you, know, you can start marketing yourself a lot better for positions. And so here I am, I'm trying to scale this Web3 space. So if I went to a team at that point, I could explain that I have a breadth of experience Yes, across small projects, medium-sized projects. I can scale now.
0: You know what? What did that time frame sort of look like? You know, like when, when you started from that small tier project to the medium tier project, and then eventually to where we're getting to, what was that time frame mm-hmm. like? Was it like quick? It was, yeah,
1: this was uh, fall 2021. Uh, it was like two months between okay. when I joined
0: the space and when I started modding for hate Ah, I see. Two months. That's, I mean, it sounds quick, but at the same time back then, like things were moving very, very fast projects were mending so quick yeah
1: yeah yeah exactly it's also knowing when to let go mm. i think i talked to a lot of mods and junior mods i mentor about this which is you have to know when to leave a team or know when to leave a certain type of position no different than in web 2 or corporate world but you know you'll see a lot of young talent stay in the same types of positions in perpetuity like i could have joined a small project and stayed on forever, right? The issue is in the space, there are no rules or no standards. And so, you know, something I remind applicants or employees about is, you know, you might feel that Web2 mentality of, oh, this is corporate. They know best. They know a lot more than I do. They don't. The teams don't know too much more than you, if at all. And so when you're trying to leave a company, right, or leave a team, when you're trying to negotiate your salary, they don't know anything. There is no precedent. There is no rule. So you have to be deliberate. You have to say, this is what I want. This is how I'm going to do it. And it's a lot easier for you to do it in this space because they don't know what's going on either.
0: Exactly. I think that's important to highlight for anyone working in Web3 or NFT projects. Do not pigeonhole yourself. Remember to focus on your own goals and plans in this space. Move deliberately. And so from there, you, Micro, moved deliberately.
1: Yeah. At some point, it's a combination of hard work, experience, and luck, right? Hate piece happened. I was there early, right? I happened to see uh, Digi's first tweet about the project. So I was in the server very early and I was able to get OG Ape, I think, third day. Okay. The server was open. So I already secured my whitelist spots. But I think I think in my position, right, a lot of people, especially those who, who prioritize money <laughs> or financial gains, right? Might say either, one, I already got the whitelist, so I'm just going to chill. Or two, I want more. Right? I want more spots. I'm going to try to bypass the system, get extra accounts and et cetera, et right? Et cetera, right, yes. Whatever. Whatever they want to do, right? But for me, I wanted to be on the team. And I'm going to lump some things together right here, which is at that time, there was Hatebeast, there was Nanopass, and there was Azuki, All roughly coming out around the same time. And I was looking at these teams and and I won't dive too much into like the rationale behind this, but I saw these three teams and I said to myself and to my wife, I need to be on these teams. I need the human capital and human resources from being on these teams. And that will set the foundation of my web three career. You know, in, in some ways I was making a human capital investment and bet That of these three teams, one or all of them are going to do super well. And this is where I start to do this balancing and rebalancing of financial versus human capital investment. Mm -hmm. For some projects and teams, I might just buy stuff from them or invest a lot of money in their assets. For other teams, it's safer or even significantly better for me to just be on the team and hold nothing. Right, So it's a a balance. But I was super lucky that I got to be a mod for Hape. I learned a ton. I met a lot of people that I talked to as much as I can. Back in Hape, we had at first 250,000 people in the server. We asked Discord for a cap unlock, hit 500k within the same week. Probably could have hit a million if we asked for another oh, unlock. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot of bots, but it was also one of the biggest servers, if not the biggest server in the space at the time, right? We had a 32-member mod team that spread around the globe. And, you know, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just giving you scale. Yeah, exactly. And and sort of reference. And so, you know, at that point in time, like, as we were sort of blowing up, I I always point out this sort of peak in in human capital leveraging. People always talk about pre-reveal pump, post-reveal dump for, like, financial gains, right? There's also a human capital pump and dump. Mm. There is a human capital pump for mods and team members leading up to Mint of a good project, quote-unquote good or hyped. And there is a dump after Mint or post-launch. And so at the peak of hype for a project like Cape, I think a lot of people would be tempted or, or to, to let their ego get the better of them. I mean, every server you go into, people recognize you or begging you for whitelist. Oh Everyone was DMing you. You could do a lot with that. You could do whatever you want. For me, it was an opportunity to network with other teams. Uh, it gave me access to chat with the Nanopass team, with the Zuki team. And in those moments, what mattered most for me is that they gave me an opportunity to talk to them and to show them value that I could provide, period. Nothing in return, just let me show you that if we had a relationship together, it would be great and phenomenal. And so I would go in at peak of HeyPipe and talk to these people and say, hey, if you need to chat, if you want feedback, anything you need, I'll do it for free. Nothing in return. Let me help you. I think what you're doing is amazing and I resonate with your vision.
0: And I think this is an important lesson to everyone in this space is that you have to be deliberate in how you move. If you have goals, if you have goals, because first of all, you need that that top-down view of your own goals and you have to be deliberate in this space. Know when to decide, hey, I this this mod position isn't for me anymore. I need to move on and uh, continue through my journey. So don't tie yourself down. Remember the most important thing in this space is your own development. So be deliberate and leverage that human capital when you have it and and show your skills. It, of course, you know, it's not just being able to talk to others, it's, it's actually providing Good, valuable, hard work, which you had done. At
1: least, I at least I hope that's what. I do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, but but yeah, you know,
1: to touch on what you just mentioned, another way I view the Web three space outside of you know mountain range, forests, is that it's an anonymous ocean, right? A decentralized ocean. Yeah. And there's like I said, a lot of amazing people here, executives, big companies, but they might not be doxed. They might be anonymous. So how do you tap into that? Human capital and that's by climbing this this range getting to a high peak where they can see you it's easy for them to spot you and then you need to perform you need to execute you need to keep executing at a high level which fortunately because of how early the space is uh is relatively easy the bar is super low and I'm not saying that to say I'm great at what I do necessarily right what I'm saying is that our advantages that we're early mm-hmm. And we need to find a way to make that last. Because something I talked about as well is, you know, that there's a sliver percentage of the world that believes in, uses, or backs cryptocurrency. There is an even smaller percentage, there's a sliver of a sliver <laughs> that doesn't think nft is complete bullshit and so within that tiny fraction of the world as we see in the space today of like just the same people what is the likelihood that across any skill across any discipline we just so happen to have the top talents in the world right the top physicians the top marketers i you know just statistically i don't believe that the best people are here including myself so what what i feel is that we're all stupid (laughs) relative to the rest of the world. We're smart enough to be here, but we're by no means anywhere near the best talent in the world. However, we have an opportunity to make this temporary intelligence last potentially a lifetime, right? So if mass adoption occurred and all the top talents came into Web3, how do you make sure your time here today allows you to stay for decades to come? Exactly.
0: And you know what? The time horizon is different right now. Right, because obviously, let's let's go back to when you know your your two month time horizon of starting from a small project to getting into hype. Right, uh, the time horizon right now is I would say much longer because we're in this market where things aren't going so well, and teams need more time to build on a product and have a product ready to be able to put out for the communities here to experience. And we're still not at that level of mass adoption, right? So there's still time to to grow in this area and be ready for when these bigger companies come into this space, more people come into this space. You'll be ready. And so when we say we're early, it's it's on, as much of a... Of a Cliche as it is to say, it's it's honestly quite true. Mm-hmm. As long as you believe in the technology and why we're here. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, <clears throat> moving on from there, let's keep going down your journey. So, so you were a mod, and then at Hape, what was kind of like the next step then for you? Yeah. So after my work with Hape Azuki and Paradigm. I'd
1: built up, I would say, a substantial and very effective network Mm -hmm. in the space, Web2 and Web3. And over this past end of last year, beginning of this year, so like January this year, I I felt an instinctive drive to move closer to Web2, but stay in the space. And for me, something that was interesting was venture capital. And the sort of curiosity started with Paradigm. It was my first real interaction with a VC, especially at... Such uh, close proximity, and I was fascinated by the idea of venture capital firms of VCs, venture partners, and I think most importantly, you know, at that time I was also consulting a number of teams already as a Web three consultant, and I felt like without any actual hands on experience, venture partners might be doing what I was already really enjoying doing, which was meeting teams, meeting founders, yep. digging and dissecting into what they're trying to build and understanding their vision and goal and in some cases helping them make that a success. And so I thought that's what venture partners do. I didn't know for sure. So I went to a number of firms that I had built connections with which span, you know, from Paradigm to companies like A16. For
0: context, those two are some of the most prominent VC firms in the tech and crypto space.
1: Right. And To try to see if I can learn more about them, to see if there's anything I can help them with, and so that's what I've been really focused on over the past half year is exploring this VC side of the world, and really only now starting to understand what VCs even are because I I think we all have at least a shallow understanding of what VCs are in terms of you know as an investment vehicle, investment firm, etc. But to really understand what they are, why they do what they do, outside of the memes and and you know, Twitter pages like VC brags, it's actually really fascinating to learn about VCs from the ground up.
0: It truly is. And and from the ground up, once you entered this, this area of this in between of web three and web two, you it's almost as if you've come back to the base of another mountain. So now you're learning at the bottom of, okay, what is a VC? What are these VCs even doing in web three and climbing your way to the top? What does, what would the top of this mountain kind of look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, to be fair and something that we've chatted about before, I don't think there really is a top to a mountain, even if there were right. And which is a cliche perspective, but, but it's, it's about the journey. It's not just, you know, saying that, it's deliberately building and finding ways to enjoy it. And so, you know, yeah, I'm at this perhaps a new base or this new endeavor, this new journey or climb. And for me, the the top remains the same, right? It's not so much the top of the peak I'm climbing to. It's this sort of story that I've embarked on for myself. And I have a North Star in the sky that I'm never going to actually physically touch. But that is my top-down philosophy that's looking down at me. So it's always guiding me by this resolute principle or set of principles that it helps me build that guide me along these paths. Um, So I'm never really actually looking for a physical end. I'm leveraging this abstract directionality to help guide me in this physical world
0: uh, and enjoying the process uh, as I'm going through it. That, that was fascinating. I, I, fi- I find the way you move about, and now kind of in this, in, in Web 2 and Web 3, I find it admiring because it's, again, a lot of work to do all of this at the same time as, as doing your studying in neuroscience. And it takes a lot of discipline. To be able to do that. I think we can look back at how you have your North Star, your top-down philosophy to guide you to think. I think you know we can appreciate the lessons you've learned in your journey so far in the crypto space. But now I'm actually curious, how did you even get into the space?
1: So I was brought into the space by a close friend jpeg mogul oh okay and you know we, we went to college together but we were from the same hometown and we were catching up one day and he was showing me his board apes oh you know he was showing me his board sort of merch and he was like <laughs> yeah telling me about them and you know how expensive <laughs> they were <laughs> yeah and so he got in really early like summer of 2021 before the really big run and he introduced me to the space and introduced me to a lot of really great people and that's actually how i met one of the first teams I met in the space, which was Kaiju Kings and Augmented Labs. Uh, and so that's sort of where I started, and, and it was really fantastic, You know, especially looking back now, uh, being able to start in a space with such great people that are trustworthy, hardworking, and absolutely talented. And so that's how I started. That's how I got into the space. But again, really not knowing what blockchain was, what it yeah. meant, and then in those two months really digging in and Doing what I do best, I think, which is learning new foundations really, really quickly. So, you know, as one quick example, in the first Discord server that I whitelist grinded in, I think Mint was in like a week, Okay, right? yeah. And you just had to whitelist grind as as was the meta yeah. to, to get it. Everyone's and been there. And so I, I think within three days, I hit like 20,000 messages
0: on Discord. Like in that specific and server, I, in that server. Holy,
1: yeah. And by the end of the week, had passed most of the team members in messages. <sighs> Twenty
0: thousand. That's and, insane.
1: And doing two things at once, right? Talking a lot, but also keeping it organic, and then constantly building into private DMs. Anytime I had a cool conversation with someone, right into private DMs. Uh, and something else that I mentioned in like OB chat is I keep track of uh, you know everything I learn about everyone in the notes section of the Discord profile area. So I never forget uh, what we talk about or who I met. And on top of that, something else I did, a little tangent out, but uh, something else I did in that server in Hape, especially when the messages were flying way too fast to read, I would always make sure I reply to messages and keep that chain of messaging available so that I can constantly go back. And so I was out there replying to in both that first server as well as in Hape. Every single message I would be typing for probably
0: anywhere from four to six hours at a time. It's great. Wow. So these are the the little lessons that people can take and do these things now, right? You can be replying to messages. You can go and don't be afraid to go into people's DMs when you have a good conversation with these people. It starts with little things like that and it can grow and it can eventually put you on a path you want to be on, right? If you want to be a mod, it's possible by doing these things and being genuine and finding a way where you can provide value to teams. So that is certainly a good lesson that others can also take away from this little uh, thread that we started to pull on. (laughs) So I think we've been able to establish how you got into the space and the many accomplishments you've achieved while working in Web3 so, I want to try to extract your thoughts on what you do when evaluating a project.
1: Yeah, I think my answer has probably evolved quite a bit since I joined the space, right? Or even six, six, or even six months ago. Yeah, I would say. You know, especially learning more about VCs and how like buy side investors evaluate companies. I'm slowly starting to have those influences shape how I look at companies. And so looking at NFT projects, for example, they are very aggressive, young startups that are building in a very novel space. So, you know, it makes sense that VCs are funding some of these teams, but then it comes down to really a qualitative approach, right? When you look at these teams, like what what numbers are you really looking at, right? You can look at floor price. You can look at secondary market. What does that, any of that really mean in the larger context? Because how long has the space been around, right? What are what are we comparing projects that launch today to? To board apes? To punks? It's really hard yeah. to find a really strong quantitative evaluation of these companies. And so if we look at like the qualitative perspective, I think it comes down to the team of course but you know meeting with them speaking with them and through conversation not just what you talk about but through body language through how they how passionate they might seem or any of the more abstract details if they seem like a type of team that can really build you know, let's say a venture scalable business. There's one um, other big okay piece yeah. that like is at a much higher level. And I'm sure the audience will be super tired of this word right now, but human capital, it's sort of network trust. It, it's its really no different than why we're here in the space, right? Uh, a lot of what we do in a decentralized or trustless space, even if it's not fully decentralized, is we need to build trust with people a lot better and a lot more frequently. And so, you know, when I look at teams... You know, there's a great question I do. People will ask me, or you know, ask Alpha Callers, or ask these traders, "Where do you find these projects? Like, how did you pick it up?" I have pretty much never found any of these projects myself, right? Aside from Hape, really. Yeah, like it's Azuki, you know, Paradigm with Gobblers, like. Those were all DM'd to me, where I was tagged in them, and so who who sends those to me? My network. Ah. Actually, like I'll bring up like one cool example. You know, I, I had a meeting with uh, Jackson Doll, who the, the the founder of one of the co-founders of 100 Thieves, and I, I was chatting with him about VCs and you know his thoughts on VCs and things like that. But I also asked him how he ended up creating 100 Thieves. Right, right. you graduate college and at some point you create this massive esports team how do you how, how do you even fathom that sort of path and he mentioned something that definitely resonated with me and with the themes that we've been building in this episode which is he said it was just about surrounding himself with the right people. The opportunity just presented itself because he was constantly surrounding himself with the right people. It's hard to nearly impossible to set yourself up to build something that changes the world, right, for example. Yeah. How do you plan for that? Oh, I'm, I'm going to one day build something that changes the world. I mean, you might, but really how you get that opportunity isn't by wanting it. It's by surrounding yourself with the right people at every stage of your career path.
0: Amazing. And that's, and that's something that you can translate to To literally anything you want to be successful in. If you, for example, want to be a good skateboarder, I mean, wouldn't you want to surround yourself with skateboarders who are good and can teach you a few things, right? You can really translate that to anything. Uh, th- that kind of reminds me of what's that saying? The five people you interact with the most are are who you are, something like that. I totally forgot the. I totally forgot the analogy. I, I I I know what you're talking. Yeah, about. yeah, <laughs> I know what you're talking. So about. so yes, your 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 network is your net worth, as they say. Now, wrapping everything up here, I've had a wonderful time as usual talking to you. What do you hope that the listeners learn walking away from this episode? Is it the importance of setting goals? Is it human capital? It might, it might be. be. You know, I. <laughs>
1: I think, I think human capital is a sort of persistent message in this episode. So don't really need to emphasize it, but I think maybe more so the importance of sitting down and figuring out what you want in life so that you can build a path that gets you there quickly, but also a path that you can enjoy. And it doesn't have to be a 10 year time horizon, right? But. Even, you know, sitting down and asking yourself, what do I like? I think is funny enough, a question most people won't be able to answer immediately. It's this ironically difficult question of where we're in, you know, when you grind, you work hard every day, you start to forget what you like, what you enjoy about what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing. And so I think it's important to always sit down to not only appreciate what you have, but to figure out, you know, your North Star in all of this so that you can start really enjoying building towards your dream life. Yeah, that's
0: right. That's beautiful. I think, I think it is important to have a North star because sometimes in life, you're constantly looking down, focused on your next step that you forget which direction you're going. So always look back to your North star. Well, thank you. Micro for being on this episode. It's my pleasure. It's one that I've been looking forward to the most because you are, and I've said this a lot, and I know you hate hearing it, but you are certainly someone that I respect greatly, and and a lot of it is because of where you came from, because I I can completely relate to you, in that, you know, I I, I came from a low middle-class family I can't I don't even know if I can call that middle class but I I came from a family where it was just me my mom my sister and that was it you know and my sister has down syndrome I know I know what that life looks like seeing seeing life through a different lens of having to claw your way up and so I have a lot of respect for you and I'm happy to call you my friend. So thank you for finally coming onto to the damn podcast. <laughs> it's, a, it's about time. Yeah, the, f- <laughs> the feeling is absolutely mutual.
1: It, it, it's definitely a character shaping experience to grow up with struggles like that. Stuff that I didn't mention in the beginning was the sort of fear from my parents regarding things like green card status, you know. Are we going to get deported if we don't get this in time? Paying bills, credit card, you know, these things that they try to keep from me, but that you can feel and sometimes hear through the walls at night. It's a very different way to grow up, but I think that's life. Yeah. And I do want to bring up one other point that I love talking yes, about. Yes, please. Which please. is Tony Hsieh, the, the founder of Zappos. Okay, yeah. The sneaker company who had, who had passed away already, but he was a fantastic person. And I remember listening to a podcast once about his perspective on luck, right? You know, growing up the way we have, we might say, oh, we're a little less lucky than some people, right? And maybe a little more lucky, a little luckier than others. But the way Tony looks at luck is it's evenly distributed across our lifetimes for everyone. So the sum amount of luck that we all have, whether we're born rich or born poor, is actually the same if you spread it out over a lifetime, right? So someone born into a really great family might have all of their luck distributed by random chance at the beginning of their life. And they might not have too much luck, if you will, later. So the question is, how do you capture all of that luck? And it's through consistency right? If I don't know when I will have my luck, the only way I can capture as much of it as possible is by consistently working hard. If all of my luck comes when I'm 40 years old and I give up at 39 because I've grinded my whole life. It's been super unfair. Nothing's given to me. And I give up then. Then I'll feel unlucky for the rest of my life because I lost that opportunity when I turned 40. And so I think that for me is a really great way to look at luck, to look at our life situations and to motivate ourselves to be the best person we can be.
0: I couldn't have said anything better to end that episode.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that is that is a beautiful a beautiful way of looking at life. And I, I will I will move about my life not sulking and thinking about that. <laughs> you got you just got to be Yeah, ready. I'm
1: going to appreciate this moment yeah.
0: where I'm on this podcast. Hey.
1: Super humbled to be with the rest of these people that are super amazing and much better than i am no but appreciate th- this is you you gave me you're, you're my luck <laughs> in this moment
0: thank you <laughs> thank you so much again for coming and teaching us everything that you've sort of learned in this space and your philosophy in life because again it's important to have a north star thank you my girl. much love homie. me you're right Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Behind the PFP. If you're not already following, please go ahead and follow the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Not sure if they do that. And with that, we'll catch you on the flip side.